Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Amen. Are you glad you're here? Amen. Goodness gracious. Man, the Lord is in the place. Whoa, that's loud. <clears throat> I may get a hair louder than this. So, Steve, you may want to turn me down just a little bit. Are you glad you're here? Pastor Matt said it, but I'll say it too. Thank you for coming out on a holiday weekend. We appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's a lot easier to preach when there's people in the seats, too. Uh, I'll do it if people aren't in the seats. Don't get me wrong, but it's a lot easier if people are in the seats. Sometimes we write off holiday weekends as, uh, as kind of like the check the box and get by service. Uh, I, I do this every time I preach on a holiday, but I just want to remind you that uh, in 1995 on Father's Day weekend, which is a holiday, the Brownsville revival started and it lasted for a decade. And in 1980, on Mother's Day weekend, which is also a holiday, Lonnie Frisbee asked the Holy Spirit to come. And he came and knocked about 200 people on the floor. And the vineyard movement started. I just want you to know that holiday services are not just the check the box so you can get to the grilling later on. Like the Lord actually honors you being here in the room today. It, it's not just the fill the time until it's time to cook out and shoot off fireworks later when it gets dark. Like, there's, there's actually something the Lord wants to do in the room today. All right, amen, for all six of you. I'm going to be in 1 Timothy this morning, chapter 4. I don't have a message about freedom, so I'm sorry about that, but you're free, so praise the Lord. All right. Yeah, that's right. And for freedom's sake, you've been set free. So use your freedom to serve one another, Paul said. 1 Timothy, chapter 4. I want to talk to you about being beneficial in all things. Being beneficial in all things. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll jump in, okay? This flag is going to mess with me. So if you see me moving my head, I'm all right. Father, we thank you that your presence is in this place. We thank you that you've come and you've breathed on your people already this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here to touch us and to change us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in the room and that you are the teacher. That you've come to reveal the truth of this scripture. And I ask that you would unpack this scripture. I pray for utterance to give these people the word that you have given me. I pray that it would grow deep roots and that it would produce good fruit for the kingdom, that it would multiply, and that, Father, that you would be glorified, that Jesus, that you would be lifted high in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. First Timothy 4. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll start talking. Uh, starting at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, do you feel encouraged yet? Who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created, to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Verse 5, 
for it is sanctified by means of word of God and prayer. Verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the good doctrine which you have been following. So Paul is writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. Most of you know that. Timothy is the spiritual son of the Apostle Paul. Timothy is over the church at Ephesus. I was just rereading this week. The church at Ephesus is wild. It was born out of a miraculous, powerful move of God. So much so that um, in Ephesus was a temple for the goddess Diana. Um, and so much so that there were, there were silversmiths in the city of Ephesus and they made money by making these miniature um, idols of Diana for the, uh, for the people of Ephesus. Uh, the church at Ephesus turned Ephesus so upside down that the silversmiths started rioting because they couldn't make any money because people stopped buying the idols. Like that, that is the background for the setting of the letter to Timothy. Timothy's a younger dude. He's in charge of this church. At one point, they say the church was somewhere, the city was around 250,000 people. Um, the guesstimate is that the church was around 40,000 people at this time. So Timothy, as a young guy, is in charge of a church of 40,000 people. At some point in church history, they think it might have got up to 100,000 people. So Ephesus is not like a struggling church. It's not a church that's just like limping by and getting by. It's, um, it's actually one of the few letters that Paul writes in the letter to Ephesus. This is the letter to Timothy, obviously, but we can contrast that with the letter to Ephesus. The letter to Ephesus is one of the few letters that Paul writes that doesn't actually include a rebuke. Uh, in other words, Ephesus had their stuff right. Uh, Corinth had a lot of rebukes because they had a lot of stuff they needed corrected. Ephesus had it going on. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and he's instructing him how to properly build the church up. In other words, Paul was not satisfied with where the church was at. Whether the church was at 20,000 or 40,000 or 100,000, whatever the number was, they don't know for exact. Let's just throw out a number, 40,000. Paul said, that's great, but I'm not satisfied with where the church is at. He's writing to Timothy in this letter and he's saying there's more that the Lord wants to do in the city. Paul, as an apostolic leader, refused to be settled with just part of the city being saved. Paul, as an apostolic, this is what happens when the apostolic gets rooted into a city. It's not good enough that we've got more than the church down the road. It's not good enough that we've got a few hundred people in the house. The apostolic is driven by this desire that says the city must be saved. It's what we were singing this morning, that all the earth will shout his praise. It is driven by this innate internal desire that says earth has to look like heaven. And up there everybody is staring at the throne. So down here everybody has to be staring at the one who's seated on the throne. So Paul's writing this letter and he begins in chapter 4 by warning Timothy. Now lots of people take chapter 4 and they say this is coming in the last days. Can I just say yes, kind of. But he's writing this to Timothy because this is happening in Timothy's day. Like this stuff is happening in Timothy's day. He's, he's telling Timothy that there are people who are falling away. He says the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. He's saying this because in Timothy's church, in Timothy's environment, there are some that are falling away. Does that make sense? Yes, it may apply some to America in 2022, but don't fall into this narrative that Paul was, 
Paul was prophesying through this letter to Timothy, that would be foolish. You wouldn't write a letter to your kid about something that was going to affect your grandkids 20 generations down the road. Your kid would say, what in the world does this letter do any good to me? Does that make sense? So Paul's writing this letter and he's telling Timothy that there are some that are going to fall away. And he gives all these reasons. And then in verse 6, he starts to give the prescription for what to do. We're going to talk in just a minute about, about how to be beneficial to the people around us. But Paul opens up chapter 4 with making sure that Timothy and the people who are under Timothy are secure in themselves. Pastor Matt has taught this for years in youth group, and I so appreciate this. He has taught our kids and the kids growing up in this church that it's wonderful if you want to save your friends. But if you don't have a firm foundation in yourself, you are no good to go out and try to save those around you. Does that make sense? I'm no good to try and save the people I work with, the people that I go to the store with, the people that I interact with in my neighborhood, if the foundations in me have cracks and are crumbling. And Paul says that the prescription in verse 6 to this falling away is that they be constantly nourished on the words of faith. Constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have been following. In other words, Paul says, I know that you have been following. I'm not denying that, that they have obtained and they have grabbed onto faith and they have been pursuing after faith. But Paul says it's not enough to just do it one time. It requires a constant, perpetual nourishing on the doctrine that you have been taught if you're going to survive and have a firm foundation. That means my foundation requires me to constantly be taking care of it. Even if I'm in fivefold, yes. Yes, my God, yes. Even if I'm standing on a stage preaching or teaching or singing into a microphone, yes. Even if I'm working with kids in the nursery, yes. Even if I'm just someone who sits in the seats and goes to work and believes in Jesus, yes. My foundation has to be constantly nourished, not just on, not just on the things that I pick up on YouTube and the things that I catch on the radio or on podcasts. I've got to get into this book and find out what he has said about who I am and the things that I need to make sure that I've got a firm foundation. A firm foundation. Timothy is a part of what we call the pastoral epistles. This is, these are the letters, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. I think they're more apostolic epistles, but whatever. They're the epistles that Paul writes to make sure that the church knows how to grow. And in knowing how to grow, Paul says, here's what you do. Make sure that you, first and foremost, are constantly nourished on the word of faith and on good doctrine. That just means good teaching. That's the word. It's constantly nourished. In my Bible, constantly is italicized because it's added. Because nourished in the Greek there is present tense. That means it is to be nourished and nourished and nourished and nourished and nourished again. It is not a nourishing where we show up once every Sunday and we get, grab a couple bites from whatever Pastor Matt or Pastor Mike or the Apostle caught from the Lord that week and we take it and we run with it. That snack will not survive and keep my foundation firm. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? In the world today, with everything else that is available to eat for your soul, that snack on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night is not enough to nourish the foundation that you need to make sure that you are firm enough to be a foundation that others can stand and build upon. 
This thing is not just about me. It is about the people around me and who He wants to affect through me. But if I have a crumbling foundation, then I'll let the people who are standing on top of me crash with me. I, I, I work in, uh, with a construction company and, and um, we take safety very seriously. So much so that we have daily safety calls. We, every day we take time out of our day and we, we discuss the safety of the company. And we, we don't just look at incidents at our company, we look at incidents around the industry. And things that have happened around the industry and some of the most horrific accidents that happen are not because there were, there were cracks that people could see on the surface that led to incidents. Some of the most horrific accidents that happened were because there were foundational cracks and crevices that no one saw until there was too much weight that was placed on top of it. And when the weight was placed on top of it, what was underneath could not sustain what it was meant to hold. And it came crumbling down. And oftentimes it mangled people, it injured people severely, and sometimes it killed people. And in the church, we have had people that were meant to carry weight that didn't have a foundation that was strong enough. And what was on top of them came crumbling down and it mangled people and it drove people out of the church. Because they did not constantly nourish what was their foundation Because it became all about me and I'm okay and I'm surviving and I'm getting by. And as long as I can make it, I'm fine. But it's more than just me because the weight that I'm meant to carry is supposed to be His glory into the earth. And my foundation has to be solid. It has to be solid. Because He will find out and the enemy will find out too. They will find out. So Paul says... Paul says, all these people are falling away. And here's what I want you to tell the people. Here's what you do. Make sure you are constantly nourished. Make sure you are constantly nourished. Timothy, you constantly nourish yourself. Tell the people to constantly nourish themselves. And not just on whatever the latest trend is in Christianity. Not just on whatever the coolest... Uh, I'm almost at a name... I, Stop myself. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Not, not just whoever the coolest guy or gal is with the coolest gadgets and the coolest illustrated sermon. Constantly nourish yourself on the Word, on the doctrine, on the faith. Nourish yourself on what He has said. And then find people that are saying what He's saying. Verse 7. He goes on. He says, but stay away from worthless stories. Y'all don't get mad. Stay away from worthless stories that are typical of old women. I told you don't get mad. Or old wives tales, some translations say. It, they had a bunch of women that would sit around just, and just jabber. Paul's talking about the, uh, the Jewish traditions that they would become caught up in. The, the Jewish rabbis uh, and scribes would take the scripture, the holy scripture, and they would add their interpretation to it, which interpretation is fine, commentary is fine, and then they would start to add more interpretation to the interpretation and commentary on top of commentary. And before you know it, you had fables and myths and legends where the scripture was being replaced with all of these crazy ideas and wild things, and, Paul, and, and people would sit around and talk about these things rather than the scripture. 
Because it was way cooler to talk about these stories that might have been or could have been or possibly were. It was way cooler to talk about these than it was the actual scripture. And Paul said, don't have anything to do with that stuff. Don't have anything to do with that stuff. Rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Let me go ahead and read verse 8. For bodily training is just slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This word for godliness shows up 15 times in the New Testament. Ten of them are in the pastoral epistles. Ten of them. Four of them, I think, are in, are in 1 Peter. But ten of them show up in the pastoral epistles. In the epistles that Paul is writing about how to properly build a church, hear this, in the epistles that Paul is writing about how to properly build a church, to make sure that the church is properly structured, that the church properly grows, that the church properly functions, that the church properly acts and conducts itself, two-thirds of the mentions of the word godliness are found in those epistles. I think Paul was trying to say something about godliness. Godliness has become a taboo term in the church. It has become a religious term for those who don't want to pursue it. It has become a, it has become a too holy term for those who think it's unattainable. But godliness, can I tell you that godliness is your primary calling? I'm coming down again. Godliness is your primary calling. Godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is not just... The word for godliness is two Greek words. It comes from a two Greek root words. It is one word that means a life that is devoted to the Lord. It is a life of piety. It is a life of reverence. It is a fear of the Lord. That's good. But don't stop there. The other root word, it is a word that literally means godly. Godliness is not just a life lived where you love Him and fear Him and reverence Him and want to please Him. Godliness is a life where that attitude produces in you a character that is godly. It is not enough for you just to love Him and fear Him and reverence Him and want to please Him. That attitude must create in you a character that looks like Him. Because that is your primary call. The primary call of this church is not to plant houses around the region. Did you know that? The primary call of this church is not to raise up sons and daughters in the faith. The primary call of this church is not to preach the gospel. The primary call of every person in this church is to look like Jesus. Romans 8 says, For those who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Those whom, he, those whom He predestined, He called. Whom He called, He justified. Whom He justified, He glorified. Our mission as representatives of Him on the earth is to be Christ-like, if I can say that. To be godly. To, be, to walk in godliness. To walk in Christ-likeness. And Paul says there are people falling away from the faith. So firm up your foundation. And after you do that, discipline yourself for godliness. Because after you get yourself right, make sure you've got enough of Him in and on you that you can impact the world around you. Because that's our mission. 
Paul says, discipline yourself for godliness. That word for discipline is where we get our word gymnasium. It's gymnasio in the Greek. It literally means, it literally means to exercise naked. That's going to be on the podcast. Think about that. To exercise naked. The Greeks would build these gymnasiums and they would strip off all of their clothing and they would exercise. Don't think about it too hard. They would exercise naked. Why? They would remove, here, hear this, this is the Lord. They would remove every hindrance and every restriction and everything that stood in the way and prevented them from properly exercising whatever they were exercising. And Paul uses the exact term knowing exactly what it means because in Ephesus there would have been multiple gymnasiums. And Paul says in the same way that they strip off every hindrance and every restriction and everything that prevents them from exercising the specific thing that they want to exercise. I want you to discipline yourself in that way unto godliness. Unto godliness. Paul doesn't say, lay down the sins that you've been pursuing and go after godliness. He says, discipline yourself unto godliness. That means there may be things in my life that I'm holding on to that are restricting my movement that aren't necessarily sin. But Paul is urging me through his letter to Timothy to strip off those things and to discipline myself unto godliness. Because this is my call. Because I'm supposed to look like Him. I'm supposed to look like Him. But here's what we do. We say, this is sin and this is okay because it's not sin. But it's not sin. But, but that's not what Hebrews said. Hebrews says to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Why would we lay aside weights and sins? Because some things are just weighty that we shouldn't be carrying that aren't necessarily sins. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. And if I'm in a season where God is trying to help me discipline myself. Come on, there are divine seasons where the Lord draws us. I've got seasons in my life. I can point you to the date on the calendar when it started and just about the date when it ended. When the Lord called me into consecrated seasons where he said, I want you to get rid of some stuff and push aside some stuff and wake up a little earlier and go to bed a little later because it's not about whether it's a yes or a no in the sin column. It's about how much do you want to look like me in the earth and Represent and carry me in the earth so that the cities around you can be transformed. But if every conversation with him says, but Lord, it's not sin. Then I, I restrict myself in my ability to be disciplined. I weigh myself down with unnecessary restrictions. They would strip naked to exercise their bodies. And Paul says, get rid of everything. Get rid of all of it. All of it. I don't care how foolish or ridiculous it looks. Now look, I'm not telling you what to do or what not to do. This is between you and the Lord. This is between you and the Lord. Your convictions are your convictions, okay? I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do. But I'm telling you, there are things in my life He's asked me to hand over to Him for a season that were not sin. And when I laid it down, I thought I'll never see it again. Only to turn around in the next season and Him to say, here you go, you can have it back. You can have it back. I didn't want it for forever. I just wanted it for a season. 
I just wanted it for a season because, because they wouldn't leave the gymnasium. Oh, this is, they wouldn't leave the gymnasium naked. They would put the clothes back on before they would leave the gymnasium. It was only during the disciplining that they would strip naked and they would put the clothes back on to go out into the city streets again. He doesn't want to take it all for forever. He, just, he is asking and inviting us into a, into a moment of godliness. And if the world... if we, who, I almost said who cares about the world, but forget about the world for a second. If Winchester ever needed a people that looked like Jesus, it is today. If Mount Sterling and Richmond and Lexington and Georgetown ever needed people to show up to the grocery store and to show up to work that look like Jesus, it is today. They need people that look like Jesus and it doesn't come by happen chance. It doesn't come by mistake. Paul said, discipline yourself. Before, when, when Lauren and I got married, before we had kids, I would go to the gym every day for a couple of hours. Every day. It was glorious. I had all kinds of free time. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm joking. But I never accidentally showed up at the gym. It was the craziest thing. Never once did I fall into a bench press set. I never slipped and found myself under a squat rack. It never happened. Discipline yourself unto godliness takes a consecrated, concerted effort on the people of God to say, I'm giving up this so that I can pursue after that. It is a no to this so I can give a yes to that. And it doesn't happen by accident. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily training is slightly beneficial. But godliness is beneficial for all things. Gosh. Godliness is beneficial for all things. All things. Since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Godliness is not just our training for the life to come. Godliness is not just our preparation for when we see Him face to face. Godliness is not just our get ready for your heaven suit. Can I say that? Godliness is not just your prepare yourself for when you step out of this life and into glory one day. Godliness is beneficial in all things. It's beneficial in all things and it holds promise. Yes, for the life to come. Thank God that he's going to reward it in the life to come. But it holds promise for right here and right now. For right here and right now. That means that godliness holds promise and benefits for when I go to the grocery store. Godliness holds promise for when I'm home with my kids and I'm trying to discipline them in a way that represents Jesus. Godliness holds promise when I'm at work and everything is going nuts and I've got to figure out a way to represent Him when I want to scream and run out the door. It holds promise for all things. It is beneficial in all things. In all things. Not just in the Christian areas of my life. It is beneficial in every area of my life. But here's the problem with the word godliness. Or Christ-likeness. In today's Christian society, when we say Christ-like or godly, if we get someone to think about the right picture, to actually represent Him, 90% of the time, we think about his character. And that is immensely important. It is, it, is, it is beyond important. 
We should have the character of Jesus. We should be loving and patient and kind and merciful and gracious and compassionate. We should absolutely have the character of Jesus. But if we are going to represent Jesus, it's got to be more than just our character. It's got to be more than just our character. Jesus wasn't just some cool, loving, compassionate dude. He walked in and told blind eyes to see and they saw. He told deaf ears to hear and they heard. He told lame legs to walk and they walked. He hugged lepers and the leprosy left them. And then he said he had the boldness to say before he left this planet, as the Father sends me, so I send you. He had the boldness to say, greater works than these will you do. Maybe that doesn't get you excited, but it challenges the heck out of me. That means it's not enough for me to just love people. It's not enough for me to just be kind and compassionate and caring to people. I've got to have enough of Him that He can crash in and invade impossible circumstances and do something where I can do nothing. I can do nothing. I have no ability and yet He is the infinite God who has taken up residence on the inside of me and He sees the sick and the broken and the hurting and the desperate and He's asking me, would you represent me in these circumstances and give me a chance to show up and show off? But I can just say, I can just say, well, I have the fruit of the Holy Spirit and we ought to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Bill Johnson says it this way. Power and purity are the two legs that we walk on. And if one is longer than the other, I'm walking with a limp. If, if I overemphasize purity, which is character, and I de-emphasize the power that he's called us to walk in, then I'm limping. If I overemphasize power, and most people overemphasize purity out of a good cause and out of good reason. And I get it. It's because we've seen way too many people mess it up, right? We've seen way too many people stand on stage with a microphone in front of a camera and mess it up. And not have the proper character. That's why Paul started the section with make sure your foundation is firm. Paul starts the section with make sure your foundation is firm. Before you start trying to carry any kind of weight. Before you start trying to do anything about anybody else around you. you got to make sure your foundation is firm. Because the last thing you want to do is carry his name. And then end up tripping because your character wasn't as long as your, your character leg. Wasn't as long as your power leg. And all of a sudden now his name has been drugged through the mud. But their mistake can't be my excuse to say no thank you. It can't be my excuse. Because the book says that's what I'm supposed to look like. That's what the book says. And I don't know how to do anything else with it except to say, okay. Okay. And he says it's beneficial in all things. In all things. Not just in the holy things or the sacred things. It's beneficial in all things. And these are how, this is how cities begin to be transformed. Again, Paul is talking to Timothy who's in Ephesus. They're turning the whole region upside down. Not just the city, but the whole region is being transformed and turned upside down. And Paul's saying, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. We walk in godliness. We firm up our own foundation. We make sure that we're secure and we're not falling away. And the people under us aren't falling away. And then we start walking in godliness. And the natural outflow of looking like Him is acting like Him and having results like Him. 
Hear me, we are not him. Hear me, we are not him. But he, for some crazy reason, has taken up residence on the inside of us. And asked us to represent him. I'm almost done. Are you okay? I don't know what I'd do if you said no. It is a trustworthy saying, verse 9. It is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance. I love this. This word for acceptance is acceptance, admission, approval, and reception. Acceptance, admission, approval, and reception. In other words, Paul's saying to walk in godliness, to train yourself in godliness, to walk in godliness, it's not enough to just accept it. It's not enough to just admit that, yeah, that's right. It's not enough to just approve it and say, yeah, I believe that. You have to actually receive it. You've got to actually make room for it. You've got to actually create space in your life where you say, I don't really understand how this happens. I don't understand, I can, I don't understand how most of the stuff with the Holy Spirit works. I don't need to know the how. All I know is He is God and He can do whatever He wants to do. But I've got to make space where He actually comes in and I receive the ability to represent Him in the earth. It's not enough, Paul said, to say, I believe it. I actually have to make room for it. That's a challenge. I have to make room for it. My responsibility is to make room for Him. It's not me striving It's not me efforting. It's not me working up a sweat. In fact, that's the number one way to not see it happen. The priests couldn't even wear, the priests had to wear garments that wouldn't allow them to sweat in the Old Testament when they went into the Holy of Holies because God wanted to make sure you knew it is not your own effort. It is not your own effort. It doesn't come from striving. It doesn't come from pressing or pushing. It comes from opening up my heart and saying, I have no idea how this works. I have no idea what this looks like. I have no idea how this happens. All I know is I accept what you've said, that I'm supposed to walk like Him and look like Him and talk like Him and act like Him, and I make room for you to make it happen. I make room for you to make it happen. Verse 10, this is the end of the section. For it is for this we labor and strive, (laughs) because we have set our hope on the living God. Who is the Savior of all mankind, especially of believers. For this we labor and strive. For what? To walk in godliness. Because we have set our hope on the living God. Who is the living God? He is the Savior of all mankind, especially of believers. We labor and strive for godliness. Why? Because our hope is set on Him who is the Savior of all mankind. He is the Savior of all mankind. Either we believe that all the earth will shout His praise or we don't. Either we believe that all of Winchester can be saved or we don't. Either we believe that the region will turn to Jesus or we don't. And if we do, for this we have to labor and strive. It won't come easy. It doesn't come by happen chance. It comes by laboring and striving. And it's what Pastor Matt talked about last week. It doesn't happen on a street corner somewhere. It doesn't happen in public somewhere. It happens by finding a corner or a closet or a bedroom in my house and shutting the door and telling the wife and kids I'll be out in a little bit and getting alone with Jesus and saying I don't know how any of this happens but you have to do something in and through me so that Winchester will shout your praise because I am laboring 
laboring and striving because you are the Savior of all mankind. Of all mankind. The prophet said you are the desire of the nations. You are the desire of the nations. And I believe that if Winchester could catch a glimpse of you, that they would turn to you. And I've got to lock myself away. And I've got to make room to receive this trustworthy saying. It is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Full reception. Full reception. I've got to do something with it. I've got to do something with it. It challenges me. Because it would be way easier to go through the motions. It would be way easier to just show up and punch the clock. It would be way easier. It would be way easier. This might, mess, this might offend some people and I'm sorry. But it would be way easier to just overemphasize the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And say, I'm going to be loving and patient and kind and gentle and compassionate. And long-suffering. And, and, and we need that. Hear me. Hear me. I'm not saying we don't need that. We need that like crazy. But I know loving people that don't have a drop of Jesus. I know compassionate people that don't have a drop of Jesus. And they will tell you they don't have a drop of Jesus. We need loving people who walk with the love of the Holy Spirit. Who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Who know that they are standing on equal footing. Not limping. And that they are chasing after an image that they were called to carry in the earth. Because this is our mandate. I love the apostolic. But the apostolic is not our primary mission. I love the idea of raising up sons and daughters and having fathers in the faith and having people pour into me so that I can pour into others. I love it. I love the fivefold ministry. I love healings and miracles. I love it all. I love it all. But my mission is to look like Jesus. My primary call is to look like Jesus. My primary call is to look like Jesus. Our primary call is to look like Jesus. And if we look like Jesus, the rest of the stuff will figure itself out. The rest of the stuff will figure itself out. We're not going to have to worry about. We're not going to have to worry about. Are we pouring into people if we look like Jesus? Because Jesus poured into people. We're not going to have to worry about. Are we serving those who are in need if we look like Jesus? Because Jesus said, "I didn't come to be served. I came to serve." And He put a towel around His waist and He got down on His knees twenty-four hours before He'd be nailed to a tree and He washed the feet of those who would crucify Him. We're not going to have to worry about are we loving and kind if we look like Jesus because he was the most loving and kind and compassionate person to ever walk the face of the planet. We don't have to worry about all the ancillary stuff if we set our eyes on the one thing. That's why Jesus said, Martha, you're anxious about many things, but Mary has found the only thing that's important. To sit at my feet. Why? Because at his feet I'm changed and I'm transformed. And I'm rearranged and conformed into the image of him. So that I can carry him into Winchester. And into my home. And it's not just about Winchester. It's about carrying him to my kids. And carrying him to my wife. Because if I come out of the prayer closet mean and hateful. Then I better turn around and go back in. Because I didn't meet with Jesus. I just went in there and talked a lot. That wasn't me. It's about carrying him and looking like him. And it's time that the church looked like Jesus. It's time that the church looked like Jesus. Can you, have you noticed that there is a, there is a resurgence of, of a call to godliness in the earth? You know why? Because he is coming for a bride. 
He is coming for a bride. I'm not telling you he's coming next year or in 10 years. It may be 10,000 years before he comes. Don't get mad at me for saying that. It might be. But he is coming for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. How do we become a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish? We look like the one who had no spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He is not coming for a bride that's... (laughs) Gotta be careful. He's not coming for a bride that's really good at having its fingers in a lot of stuff. He's coming for a bride that represents him, that looks like him. That represents him in the earth, that carries him well, that cares for the orphans and the widows, like Pastor Matt said last weekend. That prays and fasts and believes and cries out in secret and then lives it out in public. He's coming for a bride that looks like him. He wants people that look like him. He likes people that look like him. And if we'll get alone with him, he'll change us to look like him. You can stand with me. Jesus. Are you okay? Wonderful Jesus. You know there's only one way to look like Him? It's to be with Him. The only way to look like Him is to be with Him. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians 3. (laughs) Paul says that as we stare at him in the glory, we are transformed from glory to glory into the same image. I can't look like him apart from him. I can't look like him apart from him. That's why it's so important that when I read the book, he's there. That's why it's a living book. Because when I read the book, He shows up. That's why it's so important that when I pray, He's there. That's why it's so important that when I worship, I'm not just singing songs, but I'm singing with and to and unto Him, and He is there. Because if any of it is done without Him, without His presence, without His person, it's done in vain. The point is for Him To be glorified and to come and change me to look like Him. And it can't be done apart from Him. 2 Corinthians 4 says the knowledge of the glory of God is hidden in the face of Jesus. Gracious. The knowledge of the glory of God is hidden in the face of Jesus. And as I stare at His beautiful face, I'm transformed to look like Him. He wants us to look like Him, church. We carry Him well so many times. But there are others that we just... It's not our fault. We just just trip. We just fall. We carry Him well so many times. But He's inviting us into a grace where He transforms us to look like Him. 
It's not a striving. It's just a sitting at His feet. Just get lost. Just get lost. Come on, the Lord is in this room. Come on. The Lord is in the room. Holy Spirit, come and change us. Let us be a people that carry Jesus. Look, if you need to leave, go ahead. You, you leave. If you got to go to work or cookouts or whatever, you go ahead. But the Lord is in the room. If you want to stand at your seat or kneel where you're at or run to the front, you do whatever you need to do. But the Lamb of God is in the room. The precious King of all creation is in the room. The one who was nailed to a tree so that you could be saved. He's in the room. Just get lost. Look at his beautiful face. By faith. 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 Go ahead, Nate. By faith. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.